Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast of A Light Unto My Path. I'm your host Howard Sides and uh, today we're kind of continuing from our last podcast to a short section to try and finish up chapter 17 in our study through the book of Revelation here. I just kind of split them up basically. Uh, just so the last one wasn't too short. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're in the uh, basically the second half or towards the end of verse 16. <clears throat> so that's where we want to pick up. But let's just read verse 15 through uh, the end of the chapter so we kind of get a reference point of where we're at. All right, Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Okay, so we had been talking uh, here in verse 16, basically splitting it out. Uh, these ten horns are these ten uh, kings representing these ten, uh, I want to say nations. They, they may be conglomerates of a nation, but they're not an empire. They're, they're leaders of some kind. Uh, of some substance, okay? Uh, and basically, verse 16 is talking about their reaction to this uh, harlot, the religious Babylonian system here. Uh, and it's under the heading of they're going to hate her for practical reasons. And of course, verse 15 talked about uh, the depiction of the uh, harlot, uh, her ability described, and then her actions are detailed. But then here in verse 16, the first thing we noticed was that, that uh, she is detested by the kings in that thee shall hate the whore. And then that phrase, they shall make her desolate and na naked, showed that she will be disgraced by the kings. And now it brings us to this point today. Uh, she will be devoured by the kings in this phrase and shall eat her flesh. She shall be devoured by the kings. Now, this is not literal cannibalism, but rather a symbolic representation. This flesh refers to the harlot's resources, which are distinguished, of course, from herself. So basically what it's saying is that these kings uh, will take all the riches and the lands that belong to the harlot and make use of them for themselves. Uh, examples of this phrase are similar statements in the Bible. Uh, Psalms 27.2, when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Eat up my flesh here means devouring the substance of others. Isaiah 17, 4. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. That fatness of his flesh shall wax lean is the riches of his glory shall be carried away. Micah chapter 3 and verse 3. Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. So those who take the goods, the substance and the money of the people are going to leave nothing behind. That's what it's talking about. It's not literal cannibalism here. Uh, Zechariah 11.9 Then said I, I will not feed you that, that diet. 
let it die. And that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. And let the rest eat every one the flesh of another. This is saying that the rest will take from his neighbors. Is basically what that is. <clears throat> okay. And now that brings us to the uh, fourth point here in this verse that she will be destroyed by the kings. Destroyed by the kings. In that last phrase, uh, and burn her with fire. Burn her with fire. Now the action of burning someone with fire was actually a law given by God to his people instructing them on how to handle an issue of harlotry, especially one associated with a priest. That's in Leviticus 21.9. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. Now, this reveals several things. Number one, the role of a priest was only for a man. Number two, even the children of those who hold an office or position in the employ of God have certain responsibilities. Let me repeat that again uh, in case you missed it. Number two, even the children of those who hold an office or position in the employ of God have certain responsibilities. You know why? It's the testimony. A child can hurt the testimony of even a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. They sure can. And God thinks that's important. Uh, number three, this whore of Revelation 17 had not only violated the rules associated with character, but also that of the actual office as well. So it's basically double indemnity, double judgment against her. Uh, now, uh, again, about this point of burning, uh, is not meant to be understood as the whole apostate church is going to be burned with fire. At least not yet. At least not yet. But, according to verse 18, the actual city, that is the headquarters of this rebellion, will be burned. Burn. Uh, verse 18 says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And then in 18, Revelation 18, verse 8, it also says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. No room for imagination there. She shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Now, this event is not hard to believe or understand. Look at the riots and the violent demonstrations, as they call them, uh, happening today. Uh, it doesn't take much to stir people up into a riotous mob. It really doesn't. Uh, <clears throat> look at the uh, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, it, it, it's it's just crazy. Uh, what is it? The city of Seattle has uh, pretty much just been thrown in the garbage can. Um, and and I mean that that's not even the start of it, or probably not even the end of it. Uh, in 2019 and 2018, the Antifa, the sh which is short for anti-fascist movement across America in Charlottesville, Virginia, and in Portland, Oregon. Uh, 2015, Freddie Gray was arrested by Baltimore police officers. He was taken to the hospital where during transit, uh, he sustained injuries to his neck and spine. He died later. Riots ensued within the city. 2014, the fatal shooting of Michael Brown by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri sparked riots in the city. 
1991 through 92, the video of Los Angeles police beating Rodney King as he continually resisted arrest led to riots and destruction of property. In 92, the riots began anew with the acquittal of the police officers involved in the beating of Rodney King. Now, in response, not to the verdict found, but to the riots themselves, the federal government brought up new charges and sentenced two of the officers to prison. Let me say that again. In response, not to the verdict found, but to the riots themselves, the federal government brought up new charges and sentenced two of the officers to prison. They found a patsy. Again, if you watch the whole video, I'm not talking about the part where they're beating, I'm talking about the whole video. Rodney King was continually resisting arrest. They were trying to subdue him. And maybe they went overboard, but the point was he was resisting. In every one of these cases, Freddie Gray, Michael Brown, Rodney King. Well, I'm just going to stay out of it. But anyway, they were all resisting arrest. Lack of respect. That's what it comes down to. Lack of respect. None of that. There might have been one of them happened, but I'm telling you, if they would have just stopped where they were, and it, but they were guilty. Okay, uh, that's just my personal opinion. Now, we do know uh, evidence has come out. Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, he had just robbed a store, punched a guy in the face. So when the cop, on based on the description, stopped him in the street, and then it, what happened? Michael, Grant, Michael Brown attacked the officer. He threw him a punch. The officer responded. But anyway, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> anyway. John Trapp, in his commentary, he says, it is reported that in uh, Miro, which is in Ethiopia, the priests of Jupiter had so bewitched the people with their superstition that they would sometimes send to the king of Ethiopia for his head, which was never denied them, till it came to King Erganus, who upon so insolent a demand slew them all and took away their priesthood. End quote. Religion has a way of stirring people like nothing else. Okay? Insurrections happen. Uh, coups happen. Revolutions happen. Thomas Scott, uh, who lived from 1747 to 1821, he was an Anglican priest and friend of John Newton. Now, in his comprehensive commentary, he says, and I quote, the Lord takes pleasure in satisfying his people concerning the reason and equity of his judgments on his enemies, that they may not be intimidated by the severity of them or fail to adore and praise him on that account. Great prosperity, pomp and splendor commonly feed the pride and lust of the human heart, yet they form no security against divine vengeance. Those who allure or tempt others to sin, must expect more aggravated punishment in proportion to the degree of the mischief done by them. End quote. I believe that. Deuteronomy 32.35 says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. This brings me to a point, or rather a question. Uh, do you believe there are degrees of punishment in hell? Different degrees, different levels to hell. 
I say this. Hell of itself is judgment on the unbelievers and on Satan and his followers. Now within that, there are those who do create or commit heinous, sadistic, unimaginable acts against other human beings that a lot of us, we just don't, we can't even imagine some of the things that people have done. It's, our minds just can't contain it. I do believe that there are degrees in hell. I do believe that, that I mean, I don't know how. <laughs> I, I can't explain it. Uh, this is my personal opinion. Uh, but I do believe hell will be hotter if there is such a thing. Uh, there's no biblical verse I can give you for that, uh, right off the top of my head anyway. Um, I, 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 just, I just believe there are degrees. Uh, yes, yeah, sin is sin in God's eyes, no matter what it is committed. But I, I do believe that um, just like there's a line that once you cross it, uh, you're turned into the reprobate, as, as Roman says. <clears throat> I think there's a line to cross even within the actions, within the actions of sin that um, um, require a more severe point of punishment, if that makes sense. I don't want to confuse anybody, but that's just the way I believe. But anyway, back to where we're at. Now, in his commentary, John Woolvoard says, and I quote, Verse 16 reveals a most remarkable development in the vision, which is also the climax and the purpose of the preceding description. Here, the ten horns, previously seen as ten kings, destroy the woman riding the beast in a most graphic action. Now, the action of this verse is cast in the future tense, which must be understood as future from John's point of view. The destruction of the harlot reduces all her pomp and gorgeous robes to naught. She is stripped of them, her flesh is eaten, and she is burned with fire. These graphic words clearly picture the downfall of the apostate world, church, of the future. By comparison with other scriptures, the time of the event may be placed approximately at the midpoint of the seven years of Daniel's 70th week, which leads up to and climaxes in the second coming of Christ. <clears throat> During the first half <clears throat> excuse me, of the seven years, apostate Christendom flowers and establishes its power over all the world. During this period, there is a measure of religious freedom as indicated by the fact that the Jews are allowed to worship and renew their sacrifices. In Daniel 9.27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined, shall be poured upon the desolate. There may be widespread preaching of the gospel in that same period, as it would hardly seem possible to extend religious freedom to the Jews without doing the same for all. <laughs> However, the triumph of the ecumenical movement is simultaneous with this final effort. 
All religions of the world, apart from the true faith in Christ, gather in one great world church. <laughs> Only those who are truly saved, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, seem to escape this movement toward unification. The climax of this series of events is seen in the early portion of chapter 17, where the woman, in all her pomp and wickedness, is writing the beast, end quote. <clears throat> okay, so that lays out verse 16 for us. Um, and pretty much talks about how they hate her for practical reasons. Uh, now let's look at the next point. They hate her for provisional readings, verse, uh, reading, reasons, verse 17. They hate her for provi not provisional, It's actually, I misread that word. The second point is that they hate her for providential reasons. I apologize for that. I misread that. Providential reasons. Okay, sorry about that. So, second point. They hate her for providential reasons. I'm even wearing glasses, y'all. <laughs> Getting tough. Verse 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill... His will. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. With regards to the destruction of this mighty power, they will be God's operators in bringing about his plans. Now, whether king, prince, president, or senator, they are all under God's control. And whatever may be their own actions, they are, in fact, employed to accomplish God's purposes and thereby are mere instruments in his hands. God is in control. Have no doubt about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, one of the most chilling statements about this phrase uh, is contained in Adam Clark's commentary on this section. Uh, and, he, and he says, and I quote, <clears throat> Excuse me. Let no one imagine that these ten Latin kingdoms because they support an idolatrous worship, have been raised up merely by the power of man or the chances of war. No kingdom or state can exist without the will of God. Therefore, let the inhabitants of the world tremble when they see a wicked monarchy rise to power, and let them consider that it is raised up by the Lord to execute his vengeance upon the idolatries and legacies of the times. But it is such as the nations have most righteously deserved, because when they had the truth, they lived not according to its most holy requisitions, but loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Therefore hath God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, 12. But this deplorable state of the world is not perpetual. It can only continue till every word of God is fulfilled upon his enemies. And when that time arrives, which will be that of Christ's second advent, then shall the Son of God slay that wicked with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. End quote. 
Okay, so that shows these powers that come to be as wicked as they are. And we're like, man, there is absolutely no good in that at all. Um, how in the world are they allowed to continue? It's because God allows it. And it's for a purpose and it's for a reason. But their day of judgment's coming. Always remember that. Don't forget it. Okay, next phrase. Uh, for God has put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree. That little phrase, and to agree. They will act together in their support of this power. And by this power, I mean the actions against the church, the, the religious worldwide church here of verse 16, what they do. They're going to be in, in uh, agreement with another. So these three words open up a greater understanding of just what will happen. This is not talking about isolated instances in places such as maybe France, Russia, or even America, but rather a systematic, unified, military-slash-governmental power acting as one whose focus and anger will be directed at this apostate church. I mean, if we put it in today's terms, let's look at it this way. You take a... a a 10-country coalition. Um, let's just say, uh, I mean, just to throw it out there. Let's say that Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, or, uh, yeah, Lebanon, Libya, Palestine, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates all got together and said, you know what, this Roman Catholic Church is totally working against us. We've got to stop it. And they go and attack the Vatican in Rome and destroy it and take over that system. That, that's what we're talking about. In today's world, that's what it would be. Now, we, we do like throwing that term Roman Catholic out there, okay? But <laughs> this religious system is going to be much greater. It's going to be a worldwide I'm talking about a conglomeration of the Muslims, the, the Roman Catholics, the Methodists, the Baptists. Really, it's, it's going to be a one world church system for everybody. And 10 of these nations, whoever they are, are going to get together and militarily and governmentally take over and defeat this religious power. Now, James Burton Kaufman gives this warning in his commentary, and I quote, one may prayerfully hope that Catholic scholars themselves will believe this prophecy and accommodate to the eventualities revealed in it. She, along with many daughters, still rides the beast, but are all headed inevitably for an unbelievable disaster. Her true interests still lie within the area of the sacred truth, which she has forgotten, perverted, and denied. End quote. Now he, like others, has labeled the harlot singularly as the Roman Catholic Church alone, but the warning still fits for them all. All of them. Uh, <clears throat> now look again back at verse 13. It says again, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Uh, Psalm 7610 says, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Even uh, R.H. Charles says, and I quote, even the wrath of men is made to praise God. <laughs> even the wrath of men is made to praise God. Okay. 
Um, next phrase. And to give their kingdom unto the beast. And to give their kingdom unto the beast. So not only is this coalition, this agreement, uh, put in place to attack this religious system and basically defeat it, uh, they also agree to give, the, I mean, this is crazy. They agree to give their power to the, the uh, Antichrist. <laughs> it never says why. I'm thinking something happens. I mean, you just don't give up your power. Something has to happen. And herein, this phrase, to give their kingdom unto the beast, this is describing for us the eighth and final beast by name, the Antichrist. This will be the political leader of the revived Roman Empire who will proclaim himself dictator of the entire world. Now, with this statement, he lets it be known that he no longer needs the assistance of the apostate church, the harlot riding on his back of verse 3, and then he will replace all apostate forms of worship with worship of himself or else. And that's Revelation 20 and verse 4. It talks about they're going to behead him if they don't. Now, back in chapter 13 and verse 8, it tells us that all men will bow down and worship him except for those who are true believers in Christ. And might I remind you that uh, uh, we might think that there's a large group of believers in Christ. Uh, we'll find out when the pennies land on the ground, when the rubber hits the road, as J. Vernon McGee, McGee used to say. <clears throat> All right, next phrase. Until the words of God shall be fulfilled. The, top, the clock is ticking. <laughs> All right, so this so-called coalition will not be meant to last forever. Instead... God is specifically telling us that they will come together to accomplish a specific task as he has planned it out, and then they will be destroyed. Uh, Robert Neighbor offers uh, good advice to us true believers here. And I quote, Our advice to the ministry of today is to carry forward their evangelism. It is not for us to take judgment into our own hands. Suppose that modernism does devastate the churches. Suppose that Roman Catholicism does carry away many from the full gospel of glory and of grace. We should only preach that gospel the more faithfully. We need not war against apostates because we cannot overthrow them. We need not seek to avenge ourselves against Romanists. We may contend for the truth. We may preach the word then, when the day comes, God will judge this great religious harlot with his own judgments. End quote. And he's pretty much giving us the advice of just what was taking place in the book of Acts. Um, and man, I'll tell you, uh, our Sunday school class went through the book of Acts, so I remember reading it. Oh, I don't remember where. But somewhere in there, there's this comment about the, the more severe that the Roman Empire come down on the Christians, the faster it spread. And it wasn't because the Christians were fighting back. It's because these apostles were preaching the truth. And people believed it for the truth. I mean, at the sake of losing their lives. That's how real real is, so to speak. That's when you know it's for real. Okay, 
That brings us to our final point, the last verse of chapter 17. Um, verse 18, they hate her for political reasons. They hate her for political reasons. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. All right, now this verse is not telling us that the apostate church is an actual city, but rather that this great city uh, is the symbolic representation for the operation of the apostate church. Yes, the headquarters will be set up somewhere, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's connecting the Babylon with this religious system is what it is. Now, to say that this great city is either pagan political Rome or a future literal city of Babylon is an error. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the city is referred to in verse 5 as a mystery, not a literal place on a map. Now, chapter 17 as a whole supports this as it distinguishes a difference between a religious system identified with the woman, the harlot, and the political power referred to as the beast and the ten horns. Keeping in mind that we are talking about a system rather than a specific place, one could argue that the Vatican City could very well be established as the central headquarters for this system. And given that the Roman Catholic Church is already well established here and will undoubtedly be a part of this apostate system, it lends to the idea that the Vatican City could very well be the represented capital city for this worldwide church. Uh, James Knox, in his commentary, gives several examples of this system's influence. One of those examples is that Latin is the official language of the Roman Catholic Church and is still in use in international technical language of law, medicine, and natural science. Roman law lives on in legislative bodies around the world. The Corpus Juris Romanum, that's the body of Roman law, established by Emperor Justinian, became the foundation of jurisprudence among the Latin and Germanic people in the Middle Ages and remains there today. The Roman army lives on in military systems too. It became the model for armaments and Western defenses. We still use Latin words such as captain, major, general, regiment, battalion, artillery, cavalry, infantry, and even the word army. John Phillips also discusses their belief in the right of power. And I quote, For centuries, not a nation in Europe stirred without a nod from the Vatican. In recent years, Rome's political power has been curbed, and she has had to trim her sails to suit an adverse wind. But she has not relinquished her claims, and although she has muted them for now, she has not abandoned them. Her claims were given forceful expression by Pope Gregory VII in the 11th century. He said, It is laid down that the Roman pontiff is universal bishop that his name is the only one of its kind in the world. To him alone it belongs to depose, 
or reconcile bishops. He alone may use the ensigns of empire. All princes are bound to kiss his feet. He has the right to depose emperors and to absolve subjects from their allegiance. He holds in his hands the supreme mediation in questions of war and peace, and he alone may adjudge contested successions to kingdoms. All kingdoms are held as fiefs under Peter. The Roman church has never erred. The Pope is above all judgment. End quote. What a way to end that chapter. That statement right there tells you the philosophy and the thinking of the Roman Catholic Church. This was not just one pope speaking out his mind and in haste or anger. Uh, he was quoting basically what the Roman Catholic system believes. They literally believe they rule the world. They have the right to rule the world. And that the pope is, is the supreme dictator, uh, I mean leader, uh, of the entire world. And that what he says should be basically the word of God. I mean, that, that's exactly what he was saying there. Pope Gregory VII. This guy was a uh, quite a character. Okay. Well, uh, let's end it there. That's the end of that chapter. That was a big chapter to go over. I knew it was going to be. I kind of warned you. Uh, what was it? We did it in 17 podcasts. Imagine that. Chapter 17. 17 podcasts. <laughs> All right. Well, again, let me thank you for joining me. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, next podcast, we'll pick up in chapter 18. And um, kind of as a note, um, let me see. Um, although we've seen in chapter 17 basically the destruction of this re religious system, 18 will go into more detail on this destruction and the reaction of the destruction of the harlot or the false prophet. Um, and as a title, I forget what um, notes I got this out of, but above the chapter headings in my Bible, uh, I wrote chapter 18 is the overthrow of the harlot and the false prophet. Chapter 19 is the overthrow of the beast. And chapter 20 is the overthrow of Satan. And that's in reverse order to how we are uh, introduced to them in the book of Revelation. So it's basically the opening and then the closing follows and just kind of goes in that order. It's kind of how that works. Okay. All right. Again, thank you for listening today. I hope you have a great day. Remember to pray for me. Pray for your church, local church. Pray for our country and the government. And um, I hope you have a great day. Okay. Thank you for listening.